The great inventor, Charles Kettering, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, suggested that we must learn to feel intelligently. He said this, Once you've failed, analyze the problem, find out why, because each failure is one more step leading up the cathedral of success. Let me say that again. Once you've failed, analyze the problem and find out why. Because each failure is one more step leading up to the cathedral of success. The only time you don't want to fail is the last time you try. Here are some suggestions I'm going to give you for turning failure into success. And that's what we want to really focus on this, this morning. Number one, honestly face defeat, failure, whatever you want to call it. Don't fake success. Don't pretend like you've done it when you haven't. And, and again, we're talking in the spiritual realm here. Number two, exploit the failure. Don't waste it. Learn all you can from it. Every bitter experience has something to teach us. Every bitter experience has something to teach us. Number three, most important, never use failure as an excuse to not try again. Never use failure as an excuse to not try again. So you may not be able to reclaim the loss, undo the damage, reverse the consequences, but you can make a new start, a new effort, a new attempt, wiser, renewed by the Holy Spirit, and more determined to do right. So here's the, here's the truth. As we talk about failure this morning, here's what I want to say to you. Failure isn't final, especially when God's involved. Failure isn't final when God's involved. A couple of weeks ago, we, we looked at the start of John chapter number 21. You remember the story there, how the disciples had come full circle. Galilee, remember I told you it was a ring circle. And they come right back to that position. They weren't where the Lord wanted them to be. They were meant to be on the mountaintop awaiting the Lord. They're not. They're down at sea level. The Lord has to come down to them. Again, that picture of the grace and compassion of God coming down to us, to our level. And Jesus stands on the shore and he calls out to those professional fishermen that have fished all night and have caught nothing. And the great lesson there is that God is the provider, the sustainer, the keeper of everything. And that our uh, happiness and our contentment, our safety is all in our relationship with him. The Lord provides him there with a meal and he, 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 he restores them physically and, and spiritually. But we continue on this morning in this account and really they're kind of two, two parts. Because in, 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 in the first part of John, Jesus meets with the disciples as a group. There's a corporate element to it. But then when we move into the second part of John 21, we'll see that Jesus picks out Peter and deals with him specifically. So let's read those verses quickly this morning and then we'll unpack the text a little bit. John 21 and verse number 15. And the word of God reads this. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, you... Um, knowest that I love thee, he said unto him, feed my lambs. And he said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou dost gird thyself, and walkest where thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whether thou wouldest not. Thus he spake, 
This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that is betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thy me. Let's just pause for a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning and worship you. We thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to open it, to know that it's true and trustworthy, that it's sufficient for all things. To know that these words written so long ago speak right into our lives at this very time. I thank you, Lord, that failure isn't final with you. I pray this morning, Lord, as we open up these scriptures, that we would see and examine our own lives before you, Lord. Lord, we're going to take a ringside seat, as it were, to Peter's examination at heart level by the Lord. Pray that the Holy Spirit would do the very same things to us this morning, to me included, Lord. Will you search my heart? Will you show me? what I need to see. Lord, I ask that you would grant me unction from on high, that you would fill me with your spirit. Let this message be from you, Lord. Guide my words, guide my thoughts. Help me to say all that needs said. And Lord, will you stop anything coming out of my mouth that shouldn't be said this morning. Lord, we ask that you have your will in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So these verses we've read, as I've said, we're now dealing with Peter. This is a one-to-one. -one. And so you have this contrast in chapter 21 where Jesus meets with the, all the disciples that are gathered there, brings them into shore, helps them to see this great truth of who he is, brings them back to the moment when he called them to be fishers of men, not fishers of fish. But now Jesus moves on to Peter. And, you know, there's a wonderful truth in here about our God that is not represented in any other false deity out there. That the one true God, while interested in the corporate aspect, as this, us as the church, does something that no other lowercase g God does. It comes on a one-to-one -one level and wants to fellowship with you to walk with you, to be with you, to guide you and lead you. All these other deities, they're, they're, they stand aloft over the corporate body of their followers. But in Jesus Christ, we can have a one-to-one -one relationship with the Creator God. We don't need a priest. We don't need a path. When we have Jesus... We have him forever, one-to-one. -one. And here Jesus moves and he deals with Peter. And what he's going to do with Peter, he's going to make him face his failure head on. And Peter here is going to be forced to examine his heart before the Lord. And in doing so, the Lord is able to take him and restore him into gospel ministry. Now, Peter's repentance has been dealt with. We're going to talk about this. This is about the Lord putting him into ministry, gospel ministry, giving him his plan and his purpose. Taking this broken man, he must have been thinking, I am fit for nothing, and turning him into one of the powerhouses of the early church. Why? Because failure isn't final with God, folks. So let's look at this. Let's have a look at Peter, this broken man, how he's going to be ministered to. Actually, let's turn, before we get into this, let's turn to Luke chapter uh, 22. Luke 22. We'll set a little bit of context. And this is what Peter's dealing with. We talked, I think, last week. So Luke 22 and, and verse number 54, if you get there. 
So this is what Peter's dealing with. Remember we talked about New Year's Eve, Psalm 51, that psalm of restoration, reconciliation, how that David said, my sin is what? Ever before me. And he's walking in that place where, you know, he's failed God. That's what David says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. And that sin's in front of him and he's walking with that sin constantly in front of him. Verse 54, Luke 22. When I was daily with you in the temple, or sorry, verse 54, sorry, Luke 22. Then they took him and led him and brought him to the high priest's house. This is Jesus in his crucifixion week. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had come to the fire in the midst of the hall, they were sat down together, and Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man also was with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, There are also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And after but the space of one hour, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. So remember the Lord had said that he would deny him. Verse 61, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Now, as I like to do, let's, let's build this scene. Because we need, we need to take it. We understand that this is not just a fairy tale narrative. This is historical fact. That the Lord is being taken to be beaten, mocked, spat upon, and crucified. He is in his point where all have deserted him. And Peter is followed to a point, but when he's really pushed to it, he's denied him. His flesh has failed him. Rather than saying, that's my master. He says, I don't know him. Three times, I don't know him. And as Jesus is being led away, led out of sight, Peter's there and he's convicted. I know he was convicted. Because we're all the same. When we do the wrong thing, as believers, let's be honest about it, we know we've done the wrong thing. There's no denying it. There's no hiding it. We'll try and mask it. We'll try and cover it. But we know. We know. So Peter... It's broken. Number one, he denies him the first time. Convicted, convicted, convicted. Another opportunity to correct the wrong. No, I don't know him. Sits under conviction a little bit more. What's he thinking? What have I done? can't have the courage to say he's my, he's my master I love him third opportunity because that's what it is third opportunity comes no I don't know him Jesus is led away and Peter now is under the thrice weight of conviction he is being eaten up inside and Jesus turns and looks at him. Straight through his eyes, into his very soul and his heart. How piercing is that? And Jesus could have said, there's one of mine. And Peter would be brought into the party. What does he do? He looks at him. Straight into his heart. Says nothing and goes to the cross. Now picture yourself as Peter. 
you want a weight of conviction upon your soul, what would that have been like for that man? Now we, we, we pick him, Peter. Say, what an idiot. But listen, we're all deniers in far less extreme circumstances. We've denied him when it's will have cost us nothing to say, he's my master. This man is under it. He is broken by it. Jesus looks upon him. Peter remembers the word of the Lord. He, he, now he's entering into dialogue with God at heart level. What does he do? Verse 62. He went out and wept bitterly. What's that? That's repentance. He knows he has made one of the biggest mistakes of his life. That when it came to the very crunch, when the rubber hit the road, he wasn't all that he said he was going to be. And he failed miserably. And he wept. Now, we are no different than Peter. Because we do this, we fail the Lord, we deny the Lord in less extreme circumstances. Nowhere near what Peter was going through. Like Peter knew that if he said, I'm with him, he would have been crucified alongside him. He was a dead man, basically. So we're no different than Peter. So I want us to identify him with Peter. And, and now we get to John 21. So what I'm saying to you is that repentance has been dealt with. In Jesus' resurrection appearances, hey, there's a special appointment with Peter that we don't, we're not privy to, that all that stuff's dealt with. But we are privy to John chapter 21. And in John chapter 21, the Lord is doing something different. He's not dealing particularly with that, but he's dealing with the ramifications of everything that led Peter to that moment, his character, who he is, what he says and what he does. And he's helping him to see who he is, and he's helping him to see his place in the ministry that God has for him. See, Peter was a broken man. I mean, broken. He couldn't have not been. But the Lord is going to use those events to establish Peter. And those events that we've read that are horrific from Peter's point of view in terms of failure, the Lord is going to turn around and mold and shape and use as an essential driver to Peter walking into what the Lord has for him. This broken man that we would look upon, why would the Lord ever use anybody like that? How could the Lord ever use anybody like that? Maybe that's your thought here this morning. How could the Lord ever use anybody like me? I failed. Maybe not be on Peter's level, but for my context, it was pretty bad. Here's the truth, church. This is what this is going to tell us. Failure isn't final with God. It's not final. Peter is going to be set on his ministry. What we're, we're dealing with here is heart surgery. Now, it's open heart surgery because we're going to see it. But Jesus is going right to the depths of Peter's core character and help him to shape and mold and change things. And then he's going to set him on his course. This is his ordination council, if you like. You know, as, a, as an ordained minister, I've had to sit in an ordination council. Ordination council is whenever, you know, the, the church and then a group of other ordained ministers affirm you into the ministry, into your calling. I, I, this is one of the reasons that I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm a Baptist. I believe in Baptist church polity. I, I think it's so important, especially today, because we live in a world where people pop up, churches pop up. Um, you know, people are, 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 are you know, uh, saved six months and then they're a pastor. Well, a pastor of who? Oh, I've got this group of people that listen to me. Well, where's, where's your theological training? You know, if, if you studied it, it doesn't have to be a seminar, right? Is it in the local church? Who's authenticated you? Oh, nobody. I just decided one day that I wanted to do this. It's everywhere. But that's not biblical. 
There was a land down, there was an ordaining in the early church so that the people that were elders, pastors, shepherds of the ministry, when somebody questioned them, they could say that they were authenticated by John, Paul, whoever. Go down through the ages, polycarp on. You'll see it. So the ordination council, you sit and uh, you're quizzed on your statement of faith. Not that everybody has to agree with your statement of faith, but that you have to defend your statement of faith from Scripture. So my case, 12, 12 uh, people, some, uh, I think William was on it, yeah. um, and then some other pastors, mostly pastors, elders, uh, you know, people in the church here, questioned me, three hours, two and a half, three hours. Well, I'll the Bible and my statement of faith. And I have to answer it. And then they come and they recommend to the church, this man is fit for ministry. I've been able to sit on other people's councils and be able to, to question them. This is what's going on here. This is Jesus dealing with the real essential issues of Peter's theology before he sends him into ministry. So let's get into it because time, we don't want to spend too much, <laughs> spend too long as it is, but we want to get into this and see what Jesus really gets into it. Number one, he examines the depths of Peter's love. This is in verse 15 to 17 where, where Jesus says to him, do you love me? This is, I'm going to paraphrase this a little. Do you love me? Is what he said. Peter responds and says, yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He says to him again then, verse 16, the second time, do you love me? Peter responds, yes, Lord, I know. You know that I love thee. Then verse 17, he asked him again, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He says, Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Now, in the English, there's not too much going on there. In the Greek, there's a lot going on. Because in the Greek, the Greeks, you know, you, you've heard me say this, that their language is, is far more expressive and has more depth than English does, I think. We're a bit lazy. So we use the word love in very different circumstances. And the context will determine what type of love we're talking about. You love your children. You know, um, somebody just had a, a little one, friends of ours, um, in... Uh, Tasmania and they just had their first little one and um, one of the messages I got back from the dad was I never knew I could love anyone so much now that type of love is different for a love that you have for Italian food hopefully or the love you have for the football team or the love you have for your wife Order them whatever way you want. So the Greek has different levels of love. We've heard the word agape a lot. Right? This is John 3.16, for God so loved. Agape in the Greek language is, is the highest form of sacrificial love. It's love that is not dependent on the, the object or the thing or the person that's loved. It's love that's given. So it's that love that that person expressed to me. I never knew I could love anything so much. That little bundle has done nothing to earn that. It's given. It's a love that God has for us. Given. Agape love. And there are different levels after that. There's erotic love and, and stoic kind of love. Uh, but the, the kind of next one down is, is, is brotherly love, family love, phileo love. Church of Philadelphia gets its name from this. Church of brotherly love. So Jesus uses, when he says love, the first two times he uses Agape. Peter responds with phileo. So Jesus says, do you love me supremely, sacrificially, unconditionally? And Peter responds, Lord, you know I love you as a brother. You're my family. Now, the interesting thing to me is that when we're, when we're looking at this, these two, two words, most of the modern commenters say that there's nothing really happening here. Most of the modern commentaries, if you read them, will tell you and say that actually these two words are interchangeable and they're just used one for another. And they are used one for another, I believe. 
So they'll point to some other scriptures where this phileo love is used, but the context is different. But when I look at this, I look at it from this viewpoint. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. It's infallible. So whenever there's a change in the words used, that's not just some lazy writing. It's not some accidental thing. It is there because the Holy Ghost wants it to be there. So Jesus says to Peter, do you love me supremely? Peter responds the first time, I love your brotherly love. Second time, Jesus says, do you love me supremely? Agape love. Peter responds with brotherly love, phileo love. The third time, Jesus changes the level of the love. The word changes from agape, supremely sacrificial, to the word that Peter was using, brotherly love. Phileto. And that's the time that Peter then responds and says, it says, the text says, verse 17, and he saith unto him, Simon, I said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? This is where Jesus has changed. He's came down to Peter's level and he's challenged him even on that. He says, Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? Now, there is absolutely a lot of threes going on in Peter's life. And he is going to be reminded of his three-time denial here, no doubt, because the Lord's asked him three times. That is happening. But also, I absolutely believe that these words are not just, these different words for love are not just put in there randomly. That's what the, the modern commentators will say, that actually they're just interchangeable. Not in my bibliology. My bibliology says that if God's put them in and there's a difference here and there, there's a reason. So what is the reason? What do I think is the reason? Here, what, what's really happening, I think, is Peter is being challenged on the depth of his love. He's been challenged on the things that he said before in, in, his, in his actions. Remember the words of, of Peter? Let's, well, let's look at them. Uh, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 31. Remember these words? Then Jesus said unto him, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, they shall deny me thrice. Excuse me. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. Now, we forget about the last little bit. Likewise, also said all the disciples. Peter's just a representative of the group. <laughs> They've all made these big, bold promises. So here Jesus is challenging him. He said, Do you love me with agape love? Sacrificial love. Peter doesn't respond with it. Why? Because, now, stop. The Peter of Matthew 26, if he was asked that question, what, what Greek word do you think he'd have responded with? I think he'd have responded with agape. Because that's what he was saying there, Matthew 26. Do you love me? Absolutely love thee, Lord. I'll die for you. I mean, what, what, what level of sacrifice is that? That's the greatest sacrifice. But the Peter of John 21 is a different Peter. The Peter of John 21 has been through the ringer. And the Peter of John 21 isn't willing to just blurt out, I'll love you, sacrificing unconditionally. Because he knows that his life and actions that have gone past previously haven't borne up to that type of love. He knows. 
He couldn't claim that love because his actions didn't prove that love. So Jesus, but Jesus keeps going. And then the third time, verse 17, John 21, Jesus comes down to Peter's level. He uses the same word and he says, do you love me as a friend? And here, here Peter's grieved. Grieved because three times he's been asked. But grieved, I believe, because the Lord has come down to the level that Peter's offering and is living in and has challenged him in that, even that. What's he doing? He's getting right into his heart. He's getting past the words, the big statements, the big, I'm going to do this for you, Lord. I'm going to do that for you tonight. We're all in this. We've all been there. We all do it. Maybe we've done it this year. This is what I'm going to do, Lord. And the Lord gets past all those words, gets right into the very heart, says, this is what I see in you. Now, Peter is being shaped here. He's being molded because, you know, he's Peter. He's, he's impulsive, Peter, isn't he? Certainly before Christ goes to the cross. He's the one with the big statements. He's the one that's shouting out, I'm going to die with you. Even though others will forsake you, even though others will leave you, I'm not going to do that. But Jesus is really helping them see that actions speak. And often they are louder than words. Jesus sees right into the very heart of Peter. And this experience hurts. But this is the experience that Peter needs. And here's the question. Now he's restoring him. Remember, he's restorative. He's putting him on his ministry path. And the one question that he asks is, do you love me? Now, let's take the application here for us today. I absolutely believe, that's another reason I'm a Baptist, in the priesthood of the believers. I believe that we all have a ministry purpose in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he has something for us all. And this is Peter, who had a really important part in birth in the early church. He was a leader. And Jesus, setting him up for this ministry assignment, asked him one question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Because that is the prerequisite for all things after. Do you love me? And that means nobody is excluded. Nobody can come along and say, you know what, I don't have what it, it takes to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have the qualifications. I don't have the education. I don't have the skills. That's, that's not what Jesus asked Peter. He says, do you love me? So the good news is simply this, that if we want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, it's simply based on, do we love him? Do we love him? And if we truly love him, we'll serve him. And this is what Jesus is dealing with in Peter's heart. This is the most important question. And Jesus gets right to it and says, Peter, do you love me? Well, if I asked you the question, church, do you love the Lord Jesus? What would your answer be? You could say it. What would your answer be? Do you love the Lord Jesus? Yes. Do you love the Lord Jesus? Yes. yes. Do your actions bear that out? That's what Jesus is doing with Peter. He's helping him see, Peter, it's not just what you say. It's what you do. It's what comes from here. If you love me, Peter, you truly love me. Feed my sheep. Serve me. Do. And that's what the Lord does. So he deals with the depths of his love. He moves on to the duty of his leadership. What's he say? Feed my sheep. That repeat. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Again, there's a lovely little play on words. Sheep and lambs covers the entire flock. It's the old, the young, the, the lot. 
So here what Jesus is doing, he's putting Peter on his ministry path. He's, he's helping him examine that actually when you, when, you, when you say that you love me, show me that you love me. Words are easy. Actions are hard. Live it out. Do it. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Saying you love me, love my people. Love me, love others. Begins with God and flows out of that. That when we love Jesus and when we walk with Jesus, the closer our walk with Jesus is, the more we will see other people like Jesus does. And here's my great confession as a pastor. At times, I don't see people like Jesus does. Because when we see people like Jesus does, for the lost, we see them lost without a shepherd, hopelessly lost in their sin for an eternity. For those that are saved, we see people that need to be loved and led and cared for and supported. All born out of a love for the Lord. So Jesus says to Peter, you know, let's look at your love. Let's, let's look at what that truly looks like. And then here's what it is the outworking. You've got to feed the flock. And this is important for Peter. Because here's what Jesus is doing. Now I've told you that, that, that repentance is dealt with. That's forgiveness. Now Jesus is dealing with trust. Because forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. They're different. And one doesn't have to follow the other. We are commanded in Scripture to forgive. No problem. But we don't have to trust. Let me give you a real-time example of this. If I lend you some money, say, British Museum trip, somebody can't afford it, I say, well, I'll lend you the £45. No problem. I'm a rich pastor, so I'm... I'll pay. If I do that, and it's given as a loan, you say you pay me back, and then you don't pay me back. And you, you have the money. I've seen you driving around in your Ferrari, and you're, you're just not paying me. Now, biblically, I should let that go. Now, hang on to that, because that's going to do me more damage than you. Every time I see you drive past your fire, I'm going to go, oh, I'm going to do his tires. Forgiveness means, you know what? It's forgiven. forgiven. It's between you and the Lord, but I'm not holding on to this hurt. Forgiven. Say I do that, and the week after, that same person says, oh, there's another trip coming up, Pastor. You wouldn't lend me the money for it. I'm going to say, absolutely not. Not a chance. I've forgiven you, but you're not getting money off me again. I don't trust you. Difference. There's a difference. I'm not commanded to just keep giving out money people I don't trust. It's nonsense. So forgiveness and trust, there's a difference to them. And I think sometimes we, as Christians, get that mixed up that we have to go the whole hog. And no, that's not necessarily true. Now, we want to get to a place where we're in a trusting relationship with that person, but that's born out of actions. How they respond, how they, how they change. The point I'm making here is that Jesus, when he deals with Peter, he's forgiven him, and now he's saying to him, I trust you. This is empowering leadership. He's saying to the man that was broken, to the man that had fallen on his face dramatically, the man that had failed, that the words that he said that he didn't do, and in fact he, he ran the other way, he denied the Lord at his time of greatest need. And Peter goes in that guilt. He's been forgiven, but he's like, the Lord will never use me again. I can't be used for ministry. My failure's too great. Here Jesus steps in. He empowers him in leadership and he says, I love you. I've forgiven you. I trust you. And Peter, the broken Peter, goes on to be a powerhouse. 3,000 the Pentecost come to the Lord. Who is it? Peter. The time to deny him comes up again and he doesn't. 
He says, I'm going to be crucified, but not like my Lord. Upside down. That tradition tells us that mid, mid-60s AD, that Peter was crucified, no doubt. But he said, I don't want to be crucified like the Lord. I want to be crucified upside down. I'm not worthy to be crucified like him. That's not denial. Jesus, or Peter has been given his ministry assignment by the Lord. Feed my sheep. He's trusting him. This is beautiful in the, the restorative stuff that's going on in Peter's heart. He has to see his heart first. He has to see who he is. And the Lord shows him that. He opens it up, shows him the mistakes, shows him where he's gone wrong, shows him that he needs to be a different man, that he has to learn from what's gone on. And he says, Peter, I trust you. Feed my sheep. Feed my flock. Tend for them, govern, care for them, defend them. So the Lord deals with the depths of Peter's love. He deals with the duty of Peter's leadership. Verse 18, he deals with the direction of Peter's life. John 21, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, thou walkest where thou wouldest, but when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, another shall gird thee and carry thee where thou wouldest not. Here Jesus is talking about what lies ahead for Peter. He is going to face martyrdom. Verse 19, this spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. This is Peter's assignment. Go and feed my flock, feed my sheep. But Peter, here's where the direction of your life's going now. You're going to die for me. Now that's a sobering thought to be told by anybody. But this is the price of following Christ. Truly. This is what we should be willing to do. To lay down our life for him. Now, I've got to be honest. I don't know if any of us, right now, if somebody came in here right now, put a gun to our heads right now, and said, are you one of his? Are you one of his? Are you one of his? Knowing that the answer is, yes, I'm his, meant the end. Would we do it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But here's where the answer depends. Right back to your love for Christ. Is it brotherly love? Family love? Or is it unconditional sacrificial love? Because that's what we're called to, church. We don't have time, but there's cross-reference after cross-reference. Pick up your cross, follow me, deny yourself. You shall be hated. Throughout the New Testament, Peter was going to face death. And notice what it says in verse 19. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. Not just in his life, but in his death. And I can speak to this. I can speak to this as a pastor that has sat at the bedside, that has ministered to those that are, are walking into the next world, and I have seen how they can glorify God in their death. And it rings testimony to the truth of Christ. I've also witnessed others that haven't glorified God in their death. In fact, they've gone the other way. But there's an opportunity to glorify God, and that's what Peter's going to do. So Peter's on this journey, but there's one final lesson, and this will wrap us up. We've dealt with the depths of Peter's love, the duty of his leadership, the direction of his life, but then finally, one final little snippet where we deal with the diversion of Peter's look. Look at verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? And Jesus said unto him, If he will that he if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. I mean everyone's going so well for Peter, but there's this one little glimpse that the Holy Spirit leaves in, points us to the danger of the flesh. 
that even in the spiritual highs, the flesh is still there. And what happens? Peter looks away from Christ and he looks at his fellow worker and says, well, what's going to happen to him? What's he saying? You just told me I'm going to die, Lord. But what about him, your favorite John? <laughs> what about him? Now we do this. All of us do this. Consistently. We compare. What about the other person? What about this? What about that? Now we always compare up. We never compare down. Very rarely we compare down. They've got it worse than me. I'd rather be them than me. We always go the other way. But it's a danger and it's a trap. Because when we look to other people, what have we done? We've took our eyes off Jesus. This is one-to-one. -one. There's a corporate thing, yes. But it's one-to-one -one with the Lord Jesus Christ. When we take our eyes off him, the flesh will rise up and it'll trap us. And this little lesson for, for Peter is just wedged in there that it's dangerous to follow men. You'll follow Christ. Follow Christ. There are many people, there are many influences, there are many things in life that want to get you to follow them. Career, job, success, money. Charismatic personalities. They'll fight for your time. But here's what I want to say to you this morning, church. Just keep your eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean you're not to listen to me <laughs> but if I'm biblical and it's in the word listen follow me as I follow Christ I'm talking about those who want to lead you away from that keep your eyes on the prize the command is what follow me so this encounter with Peter and we're done it, it is it is hard and Peter's gone through it but it's essential it's essential for Peter, for where the Lord is going to take Peter and what the Lord wants Peter to do. Turn with me quickly, just to Luke chapter 22. And then we are done. Because <clears throat> I want you to see this. And I love this. Luke 22 and verse 31. Now this is prior, obviously, to the Lord's crucifixion. Look at what it says. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So this takes place before Peter's big fall. Jesus says, Satan has desired to have you. This is the omnipotent Christ. Peter, there's trial coming. And notice what Jesus says. I have prayed for you, what? That thy faith fail not. He doesn't say, I've prayed for you that Satan won't get a hold of you for a season. He doesn't say, I've prayed for you, that that won't happen. He says, I've prayed for you, that your faith fails not. And when they are converted, turned, repented, strengthen thy brethren. What is Jesus saying? And what am I saying to you this morning? As those events in Peter's life, those failures, extremely difficult no, they were, that they were, were essential for Peter to grow. And actually, the Peter that we see at Pentecost is a product of his failures more than he is his successes. His successes, when you read through Peter's life, Caesarea Philippi, says, thou art the Christ. That's a success. But his life is shaped 
by the failures and his response in those failures to learn from them and grow because the Lord is showing Peter something about himself. He's saying, Peter, you're too impulsive. When you say something, you've got to do it. You've got to mean it and know what it means when you say it. What is he saying? He's saying, Peter, failure isn't final. Jesus knew this was coming, but he knew that Peter needed it. Now, not every trial that we face is sent by God. Let me say that again. Not every trial that we face is sent by God. Some are. But every trial is allowed by God. That's God's sovereignty. The question is, what does God want us to see? How does he want us to respond? How are we to glorify him in that? Folks, that really depends on the depths of our love. Where are we with Jesus? Do we love him? And do we know what that means? When we say we love him. Now, the good news is, as I've said multiple times, failure isn't final with God. It's not an excuse to not do anything because you failed in the past. It's an opportunity to learn, to analyze, to fix through the Holy Spirit, through the direction of the word, what's wrong and walk into what God has for you. Folks, a failure, one failure disqualified us from serving the Lord, there'd be nobody in any form of ministry today. Do you understand that? If you haven't failed the Lord once, you're not trying in anything. None of us can say that we haven't failed him. But failure isn't final with God. So for 2024, this afternoon, take some time, read John 21 again. Take Peter's name out, put your name in. Read it reflectively, allow the Holy Spirit to challenge you and answer it honestly. And start 2024 in a new way, in and through the Lord Jesus.